Hello, you found yourself back here at the Scarred Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. There are patients that you like, and there are some patients that you just can't stand. And then there are the, is the rare occasion of the patient that you love. And we had a patient that had been burned out in the oil fields somewhere and came into the burn center, and he had about probably 70% of his burns, or of his body was burned with third degree, and he had to have skin grafts. He also had some some sort of issue with his his lungs and his his breathing and that in that he had to have a ventilator all the time and he i don't know if it was because he had been a smoker for a lot of years and then and then also in addition to that maybe he had some kind of smoke inhalation injury but um he had some pretty he had um a significant issue in addition to his burns that also challenged his lungs so he and i never had a conversation where we both spoke there was uh, he had a ventilator so he couldn't speak but i would say you know i would say things to him and then he would uh like mouth the words and then somehow i figured it out but after a while i got pretty good at understanding the things that that he was saying so anyway one night we're uh, doing his dressing change and oftentimes you know they can't hold their arms up on their own or they can't hold their legs up on their own so as you're doing a dressing change you need to have another nurse or technician somebody in the room with you holding up the extremity while you wrap it so there were a couple of us in the room um with this guy one one evening doing his dressing change and he uh, he he this was quite a while ago and i'm sure everybody under everybody knows what this term means but at the time i didn't know and so he was explaining to us what the the term coyote ugly what it means and when i got it i started laughing and because i had never heard it before and i thought it was pretty funny well then he started laughing because i was laughing and he had this ventilator and the ventilator would kept tripping off because he was laughing and then everyone in the burn unit got you know all the other nurses and got the word that why he was laughing and then they started laughing and so it was just kind of this funny moment that uh, you know brought some joy to the tragedy for uh, for a little while anyway so i went and uh got my other patients taken care of and and uh you know and this this guy i really got close to him and we we connected on kind of that good friend level um because he he was going to be in the burn unit for a while and had been in the burn unit for a while but i really uh, had become friends with him and we connected kind of on that that you know that level so he was my patient that night um and uh after i got done with the other patient my other patients i went and checked his vital signs about midnight and then then again at four in the morning and my shift ended at seven and so uh i went off uh shift and did my you know my normal thing which was uh, go home and try to sleep for a couple two three hours and then go to school and uh, grab a power nap either in my car or somewhere on campus and then head back to work at seven. So the way um, I would always take these uh, this loading elevator that was by the emergency department um, up to the floor where um, the burn unit was. And as I the elevator 
doors opened and I was getting off, here was another nurse coming on with the uh, gurney, the cart that we would transport patients uh, that had died to the to the morgue. And I don't know if it's this way anymore, but this was how it was um, back in the day. It was a, a gurney that had like this kind of tabletop uh, that you would put so you would put the body on the, the gurney and then you would put this tabletop thing over the body and then throw a sheet over that. And that allowed you to push a body through, you know, a crowded hospital during the day and look like a, you know, you're, you're just pushing something around, you know, could be whatever. And anyway, so she is pushing this cart onto the elevator and I, I was in shock because, you know, you know, the patients in the burn in, in the, the ward and there's like 13 beds I think there was 12 to 13, 15 beds. Can't really remember. But anyway, you know when someone is at risk of dying. And nobody was at that point that I was aware of. And so I was kind of curious as to, not curious, I was, uh, you know, I was in fear that it was anyone, right? But I mean, it was, I was in fear that who it was. And uh, she told me it was my, my friend. And my heart fell out of my uh, chest. And I just couldn't. I was like, how? What happened? And the story was that he, because his lungs were in such bad shape, he started to have some um, fluid built up around the lung. And actually one of his lungs, I think, this is what I remember again, and it could be right, it may not be right. So uh, this the disclaimer is, is, this is as accurate as to my memory as possible, accurate to the facts, I don't know, but accurate to my memory as best I can. And so... Apparently his lung had collapsed during the day and there was a, they needed to put in a chest tube. And what a chest tube does is it is placed next to the uh, lung. I think it's in the pleural sac now. And, you know, I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I'm going off memory from many years ago. And I could look it up, but I choose to go from memory rather than continually looking stuff up. So I think they put it into the, the space between the lung and the pleural sac and it, and it causes... Um, a negative pressure it pulls the fluid out but it also causes a negative pressure that allows the lung to reinflate so in the process of putting that um, that chest tube in there's so much scarring around the lung I think from the burn from the inhalation from the years and years and years of smoking that um, it is damaged in the process of putting in the chest tube and the patient start and he started to bleed and apparently it was the kind of bleeding that is hard to stop it's deep inside. It's a major source of uh, carrying blood. And it went from a kind of a routine procedure of putting in a chest tube to uh, this life-threatening thing within a matter of seconds. And that, I've, I've been involved in a few of those. I wasn't there that day because, I, like I just said, I was at school. Um, the adrenaline hits, and when the realization that the, you know, the shit is going down and that I hate that feeling but it's the time when you when I become totally myopic and focused and everything around me becomes muted except for the thing that we're working on and within like I said a matter of moments this routine procedure went to a life-saving thing and they called for blood you know to try to you know because it's now it's a race right you have a certain amount of blood in your body and you're losing that you know, it's coming out and you get to a certain point and no blood gets to the brain, no oxygen gets to the brain, then the brain starts to die. And so this clock is ticking 
and they're trying to get blood into his system and and blood only is going to flow so fast right i mean you can put blood you know think of filling your car with gas right you you can only put the gas in so fast and you can only put blood into a body so fast and you can put it under pressure um you know put it in like a you could squeeze it with say um uh the thing you take blood pressure with with your arm or some some iv bags they actually have pressure bags uh, that's probably old school i think you know i've been to the hospital a few times since i worked there and now they have pumps so the pump could probably just pump it in pretty fast but then you have to have the correct size needle and if it's not a big bore iv then you're going to damage blood cells so there's a lot of things to take into consideration um as you're doing that and again i don't even know all of it i just know the stuff that i kind of remember so i guess what i'm trying the picture that i'm trying to paint is it's a very chaotic complex acute emergency that happened you know and they couldn't get enough blood into him in time and he perished in this uh procedure and that is not an uh, an uncommon thing and it's not the fault of the doctor it's not the fault of the patient it's one of those things that happen and you know in a perfect world where we have perfect information maybe we could avoid that but this is not a perfect world and we rarely have perfect information most of the time the decisions that professionals and non-professionals just everyday people make is the best decision based on the data that's available at the time the decisions made and it takes a lot of courage to step out and take a risk based on what you know at the time now this is this was the situation that happened to my friend and the uh the surgeon that did the procedure i heard him later talking on the phone to someone i don't know who it was um but he basically said something like you want to blame someone blame me i'm the one that did the surgery you know and and what i so in witnessing that as a young guy um and here's this everybody loved this patient right it's not you know it could have seemed as if it was not it didn't have to happen and it, it's compounded by that you love this guy. It's not just your basic. And I hate to say this because I, I, I it, I'm going to cast this in kind of a light that it, it is probably not this way for most medical professionals. But you see patients and they're, a, they're a thing, right? They're, a, they're, a, they're a disease with a treatment, and and then they go away, and then you don't, you know, see them anymore. But this was a person. This was somebody that we knew that we cared about. He, he was a person, not only a. a a, an injury with a treatment plan he was somebody almost like family but this the surgeon showed so much courage in standing there and saying this you know this was at my hand and i made the call based on the best information that i had at the time and as it turns out it didn't turn out very good and as my career went in you know in a completely different field there were things like that that happened to me and and i will always be indebted to the surgeon for teaching me that lesson that you don't shy away from the 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 issue you know the the problem that you caused you take responsibility and as honestly as possible shoulder that shoulder the burden and it's i'm not I, i'm not i'm i'm i've not been perfect of that but i had the i had a pretty good example from which to draw as how to do that and in my career um it was a challenge a lot of times in dealing with people that that didn't have that kind of uh, that didn't have that kind of uh, uh, conviction to the truth 
if someone would have told me that there will be people in your career that will want to destroy you just for the fun of it, that will want to take you down just because they can or, or because you're in their way, I would say that's not possible because people are mostly good. Well, there are some people that are not mostly good and they will take an they will take the very first opportunity they can to promote themselves to take the credit for sort for certain things that happen and to avoid the responsibility of bad decisions and if you're a person that will stand up and take take the blame and take ownership of the problem that can sometimes um in the wrong situation become become uh something that can hurt you now i just i just finished reading a book called extreme ownership by some navy seals and that's that is totally in my wheelhouse i completely agree with everything that they've said everything that they said is how i would want to conduct my life and uh but it becomes a challenge in dealing with other people and so i think the only way that that kind of extreme ownership works is to be 100 percent committed and 100% vocal about it. You know, when things go wrong and it's and it's under your direction or it's under your leadership, take responsibility for it because the next time you'll become absolutely paranoid about making sure that that doesn't happen again. And so I think it's a positive and it was first born in my experience watching this surgeon face uh face some criticism over the over how his uh his treatment um kind of expedited his his uh expiration and uh i'll never forget this patient he was um a best friend that came from you know came from nowhere and affected my life and brought me a lot of joy and uh hopefully i had a, a part in easing his suffering while he was while he was at the burn unit listening to the doctor unequivocally take responsibility for this reminded me took me back to president kennedy um saying on national tv that the cuban missile crisis was his fault and that he would fix it that kind of responsibility has you know even though i've fallen short times in my life these examples are kind of the beacons of light that i could always look for in kind of the greatest moments of darkness trying to figure out what the best course of action would be and uh, I'll, uh, I'll always be grateful for these examples of, uh, of extreme ownership. Hey, thanks for stopping by and listening to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did... Share it with your friends. And until next time, we'll see you then.